You know, I was praying, of course, to, for God to guide me for, to such an answer because of the fact it is difficult to convince someone why does God allow such suffering on the earth. And so finally, I guess, uh, during the interview on the radio, I said, look, I said, the only way I can explain. First of all, God is love. God is faithful. God loves everyone. God doesn't want anyone to suffer. Those are all words. Those are nice words. But you see, in the meantime, you're suffering. In the meantime, you're seeing, you're seeing all these poor people over there. So I said, look, God is love. What's happening, God is aware of. God allows, but God is not responsible for it. He's not guilty for it. Well, how do you expect, the man says, do you, how, do you, how do you explain God is love when he, when he allows so much suffering? That's a good question. You know what? The answer came to me. I said, look, you have, suppose one of you, into talking to me. You have children, nice children. You love your children. You tell people, your children, what to do. You educate your children what to do. You even give your life for your children. But if your children do not listen to you, and they go their way, and they suffer, does that mean you don't love them? See, it's interesting way of looking at it. I said, God has told us exactly what we should do. He's interested in us. He wants us to go the right way, but we have gone the wrong way. That's why we're suffering. You know what? That answer nearly satisfied people, which is true. God loves, loves everyone. God wants us to be happy. But if we don't do what he says, like, like a father will tell his children what he he says, if they go the wrong way, does that mean the father doesn't love the children? You know, that question came time and again, as I said. And then as we traveled to Martinique, that's south of Guadeloupe, don't forget. <laughs> Martinique, I did not have a radio broadcast. I had a, another public lecture. We had 41 people showed up. New people. Almost the same question again, very respectful, because these people know their Bible. They have been listening to us for a long time. But the same question again, coming. You know, people are really disturbed. Because on one hand, you see the good news of the kingdom of God. On the other hand, they see the sufferings and they are confused. As we traveled, and that's interesting when you travel during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, especially if you like bread, it's awful. <laughs> Look, you go to France, okay? You go to French-speaking countries, so you see all these beautiful croissants. <laughs> and he said, no, you are not supposed to eat croissants during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Boy, that's tough. <laughs> and then he said, God loves you? Huh. I'm serious. Just like Israel, you look at Moses, like he looked at the country, the, the promised land he could not enter. I looked at those beautiful croissants, I could not taste them. But I look at them at least. 
But here's the interesting part. You know, during the, especially when you travel like that, you eat in restaurants, the first thing to do, hey, is this, is, it, is this okay? Is this clean? Is there an leaven in it? And you don't expect leaven out of, I don't know, places you never expect them to be. When you're in a restaurant, my wife says, oh, no, don't touch. I said, look, there's nothing wrong with it. Not, nothing wrong with it. Oh, yes, there is. Ask her, she will tell you what it is. <laughs> anyway, so I, that, that brought back the sub- subject I have for my sermon. As I said, I'm going to mix the whole thing. In the, in the Bible, Pharisees had a question. One question they kept asking. Do you know what it is? Just like you and me, during this days on lemon bread, Hey, is this okay? Is this okay? Their question was not, is this okay? Was it, is it lawful? Amazing. Is it lawful? They knew the law, yet they want to ask the question, is it lawful? Now, that reminds me of this, uh, during this week of unleavened bread. When we ate, when we eat something, we always say, is it okay? Is there any leaven in it? And we are careful. But in the mind of the Pharisees, when they asked, is it lawful, they were not even willing to accept the answer. That's where the trouble begins. When you ask the question, is it lawful, the question is, are you willing to listen and do something about it? I don't know if you have ever checked the Bible. Most of the time, Christ was criticized because of healing on the Sabbath. That's most of the time, that's why people blamed Christ for healing on the Sabbath. So, of course, one of the questions was, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? What was Christ's answer? Do you remember? Matthew chapter 12. Verse 2. Matthew 12, verse 2. Now, here we have a very interesting case. You see, because of the fact Christ, as I said, was criticized most of the time for healing the sick on the Sabbath. So, they, they said, the Pharisees saw, the, saw it, and say, they, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said, have you not read what David did? Of course, did, David did something. In their mind, was a lawful. In Christ's mind was lawful because David was hungry and he was allowed to eat some of the showbread. And then Christ said, or have you not read, read verse 5, the law that uh, on the Sabbath, the priests also in the temple, of course, are blameless even though they break so-called the law. I'm just giving you highlights here. And then he goes on, he says, uh, verse 9, now, when he had departed from, from there, uh, there was a man in, uh, in the synagogue who had withered hand. So they asked him again, always the same thing, is it lawful? You know, that's tricky. 
It's a very tricky question. Is it lawful? What do you mean is it lawful? As Paul said, the right way all things are permitted, but all things are not right, depending how you interpret. So, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Now, why? what, what was the question asked for? There is another way of understanding the Bible. Or for you to understand the truth. When you ask a question, what is your reason? Do you want to understand, apply, or just for curiosity? Here people are asking questions because they, were, they want to blame Christ. So they said, is it lawful that uh, on the Sabbath to heal? That they might accuse him. There it is. If that's what you, your intentions are, Brethren, that question is not, not only not good, but it's going to lead you to temptation, lead you away from the truth. And of course, Christ always answered the way that people could understand. Some, sometimes they could, sometimes they did not want to pay attention, attention to. He said to them, look, what man is it that there is among you that who has one sheep, it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, and on the hand on it, of it, and then lift it up, lift it out. See, look, it's interesting. Every time you see Christ's answer, straightforward, something that they could understand. They still did not understand because the intentions were wrong. They did not ask the question, is it lawful because they want to understand, because they want to condemn him. Brethren, this is something very important for us today. Some of God's people today are confused because of the fact they don't really want to know the answer the way it's given. They want to answer the way they want to receive. I've never seen in all my ministry so many church members having so many different ideas on their own. This is what I think, and they think they are right. Therefore, this, you see, this question, is it lawful, is a very interesting one. Another example Christ also was tempted on, Luke chapter 20. Still remember that, is it lawful, is a question. Is it question because during this week of unleavened bread, we look at things, we said, is it okay, is it, is it okay to eat, is it lawful? Is it pure? Is it clean? Look chapter 20, verse 20. Just as a highlight. So they watched him and uh, sent the spies who pretended to be righteous and so forth to just again seize him in his words. So they asked him, verse 21, say, Teacher, you know the law. And then you say, and, and you teach rightly. Now look, this verse 21 to me is very interesting. You go to someone, you ask a question, and as you ask a question, you say, look, I know you have the answer. I know you have the right answer. I know you're right. Teacher, we know that you say and that you teach rightly. You don't show favoritism but teach the way of God's 
truth. Now, wait a moment. If you know, that's the end of it. It was whatever you receive as an answer, believe it. But you see, all that was not true because they, they knew it, yet they didn't want to listen to. If you know what God says is true, then listen to and then apply it. So they said, is it lawful? There it goes again, verse 22. For us to pay taxes to, to Caesar or not. Same purpose. What's behind the question? Behind the question was to condemn him. To find fault in his teaching. You know, brethren, that's most of, it's most of the time what's happening to those with those who left the church. They ask questions because they want to find something wrong or condemn. And you know the Christ's answer. He says, show me denarius. So what's whose picture on it? Given to Caesar what's Caesar's. You know, this goes on. It's interesting the way Oftentimes you will find it. But oftentimes in the Bible where you find this, is it lawful? How many times a day when you do something, you ask the question, was this right? Did I do the right thing? After asking that question, what is your attitude? What do you do or what did you do about it? Suppose during the, the days of unleavened bread, you found some crumbs at home. Or perhaps from loaf, I don't know. What did you do? Condemn yourself? Hate yourself? Oh my, I sinned? Or perhaps ask someone who might have the right answer, what do I do with this brain? It's a good question. What would you do? Tear your hair if you have any. What am I laughing for? <laughs> So the fact is that, you see, often during the days of unleavened bread, we ask the question, is it all right? But after the days of unleavened bread, we have the same attitude. Is it lawful? Oftentimes, you know the answer. Oftentimes, you would like to find someone who will agree with you. And then you will make you feel that, no, it's okay, go ahead and do it. The human mind is such that, you see, we think that everyone else has opinion, of course, but ours is better than theirs. The same thing happened not only with the Pharisees, because the Pharisees were supposed to know the law. There were those, the tribes, which really knew the law. If they knew the law, why do they have to ask, is it lawful? You see, brethren, those are the questions we have to think about during the days of unleavened bread. Because you look for what you eat, is there any leaven in it? You have the same question, is it, is it lawful? Can I have it? Pharisees had something in mind which was to condemn. Today, most people in the world, they ask that question because they don't agree with God's laws, because they don't even know what the law is. Brethren, when you tell someone in the world, as I did during these lectures, you know, they are good questions. Why does God forbid us to do this and that? Why does God doesn't allow us, let's say, to enjoy life? You know, those are good questions. Carnal, but good questions. In their minds, the law of God is not good. 
The law of God is prohibits you or forbids you from doing something good. Those are the things you have to try to explain to people in the world. Sure they listen to it. Sure you say, Christ will return. Okay, in the meantime, we are suffering. Why do we suffer, first of all? Why can't we enjoy life? And if something is good for me, from my point of view, why can't I have it? Those are the questions. The Sabbath. You know... It's, it's, it's interesting because most of the games over there, football games especially, is on the Sabbath day. You tell people you don't have to watch football game. Why? Nothing wrong with it. See, that's human reasoning. There is God's laws aren't good. Now you have to explain to people like that that no, God's laws are good. Likewise, you and I in the church. Maybe we don't reason the way they do. But the same doubts also dominating our minds. Look in Romans chapter 7. Always have in mind, is it lawful? Is it sin? Can I do it? Romans 7. Chapter 7. Uh, Paul speaks about the law, of course. He said, Therefore, says my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ. Because Christ does die for our sins, as you know. You kept the Passover over here. You celebrate it. That you may be married to, a, to another, even to him who was raised from the dead. That was the whole thing we did during this Passover ceremony. And then, he says, For, for when we were still in the flesh... The passions of, this, of sins which were aroused by, by the law were at work in our members. But now, it says, verse 6, we have been delivered from the dead, from, from, from the law, having, having died to what we were held by. So then, it says, we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and, now, and not in the oldest uh, oldness of the letter. I'm hesitating because some of the Bible libraries are from different Bibles most of the time. Now, when you are dealing with the law, always something have in mind. If it's God's law, it's always right. It's always good. If there is any difference between your understanding, God's understanding of the law, Get down on your knees and ask God, look God, help me understand, because I don't quite see why is it good for me. Now look, look for instance, let me see. Yeah. Uh, Paul says, verse 7, What shall I say then, he says, is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, look at, look at, look at the assurance with which Paul is answering the question. There's nothing wrong with the law, yet the world condemns the law. I came, as I said, from interviews, one after the other, people saying, look, God, what God is asking us is too much. We cannot give it. God is depriving us, and then he wants us to obey his law when we don't even have enough to eat over here, let's say. He says, uh, certainly not. On the contrary, is I would not have none sin except 
through the law. That's an interesting statement. So what's sin? Sin is transgression of God's law. You would never know what sin is unless you know what the law is. Suppose there were no law about adultery. You would know what adultery is. Suppose there were no law about lie. You wouldn't know what the lie is. You would lie and you would think it's right. Try to understand. During the days of unleavened bread, those are the questions we're asking ourselves because is it lawful? Is it right? One thing I usually hear, and I heard this time too, about white lie. Have you ever heard of white lie? You know, they put you in the corner. Look, yes, but I know I'm not supposed to lie, but if I didn't lie, I would not get this job. So in their mind, is it lawful to lie? Yes, they think. He says, I had to lie about this job because if I hadn't lied, I would not have had my job. And you're telling me that I sinned before God. See the reasoning? Human reasoning? So those are the questions we have to be able to answer and also to know and to understand ourselves. All through the Bible, brethren, we see one thing. God is love. His laws are good. The law is good. The law is holy as we see here. How do you really just reconcile them? That's your job. That's my job as ambassadors of Christ. You have to go and see. You have to enter the world, travel in the world and see people's questions. You have to be able to explain, look, God wants us to be in his kingdom. They don't believe it. First of all, they don't know what the kingdom is. And then secondly, look, says, how could I be in God's kingdom and enjoy life, let's say, if I don't even know what is good for me in the, on this earth here? I saw a woman, I, I have to talk to you, tell you about her. About six months ago, she did write to me from Guadeloupe. And she said, Mr. Apartment, I used to listen to you when I was 12 years old. Makes you feel old, you know. <laughs> well, don't, don't look, you, you will get there too. So she says, I listened to 12 years old, and she says, now I have a baby, and I want my baby to be raised in your church. You know, it, it warms your heart. She's not in the church. We don't have a church over there. And she said, my husband left me after having the baby. I love him, but he left me. What do I do? I try to explain to that woman, God is love. That husband is running around. And then I did write to her. I said, look, I said, of course, she, we have the little radio broadcast that she listens to every day, five times a week. I said, look, I'll be there. Maybe I'll talk to you. So she came to the public lecture. Guess what? With the baby and with the husband. And after the public lecture, I let people ask questions. It's fine. So she raised her hand. So those are challenges. That's what makes you perhaps feel closer to God or perhaps 
further away from him, if you were in her shoes, what would you ask as a question to someone who is, let's say, comes as God's minister? Especially your husband sitting next to you with the baby on the other hand. She had the courage to say, look, Mr. Park John, I love God, I love the Bible, I love my husband sitting next to her. She says, what do I do to keep God's laws and my husband's? You know, that's a challenge. The man is sitting next. What would you answer? Of course, so every time when, as ministers, when we have to ask, answer questions, we pray that God will give us. I said, look, I said, why don't you, first of all, get together, and he's there listening to it, get down on your knees, both of you, and let the man talk loudly and say before God and in your presence what he is against you, or what does he do, what he does. Just let him just open his heart and empty his heart. Then I said, you do the same thing on your knees always. Tell God what you have in mind, what you want to do, and so forth. And then I said uh, afterwards, stand up, kiss each other, sit down, and discuss about your problems. You'd be surprised. My mother was shaken. Later on, he said, you know, he said... Uh, you gave me an idea. He says, uh, I said, look, I said to him, first of all, you have a jewel for a wife. She wants to do what's right. I said, you better just shape up yourself. But the fact is that I said, look, a man, a woman wants to follow God's laws. Do what's lawful before God. Respect her lover because you won't find too many women like that around you. He was shaken. But why am I saying this? Is it because out of this something else happened? There was another person. And that person happens to have a premises, little well, a little house. And she's not in the church. She knew about me, but she's not in the church. And she heard that we are looking for a little meeting hall for our church event when we begin in Guadeloupe. You know what? She says, Mr. Apartheid, the answer you gave that couple moved me. I'm willing to let you have the premises for your church event when you start. So you never know. So here we have, as I said, the doors open because of the fact I answered in a way to a question, is it lawful? Is it lawful for a man to leave his wife? No. Is it lawful for a wife to remain faithful? Yes. She did. And now he's also, he gave me his uh, card. I gave him my mind. I asked him, look, send me an email. If I can help you, I'll be glad to. Those are the experiences you see. You reap, especially if you just go about God's way. You'll be surprised how often people need your help. Those are the things you can do, perhaps getting ready to be answer people's questions. But this idea of is it lawful, be careful. Because oftentimes you ask the question in the wrong way. 
throughout my ministry, I've seen one thing. People are looking for something. But what people are looking for, you have to present in such a way that they will get it. You don't just you don't cram your religion down in their throat. You won't get it. You'd be surprised how many people would love to know the answer if you gave them the right answer, the, the, the way that they will understand. I've said time and again, if you take this Bible, if you take out of the Bible the 14 epistles of Paul wrote, there, is, there could be no problem, no questions, no division in what we call Christianity. Paul is the only one he has created, I mean created, confusion in what we call Christianity. He's the one who says Sabbath is done away with, so-called. He's the one who says you can eat everything you want. He's the one who says the law is done away with. I mean, it's always Paul. Yet Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. See, once you get the very sense of Paul's teachings, when he says, look, I have kept God's laws. The, the law is holy, as you saw in Romans 7. Then from that moment on, you know very well that if Paul says something which is contrary to what you think the Bible says, it is that because you don't understand. No, Paul doesn't say you can eat everything. He doesn't say the Sabbath you can do everything you want, and so forth. It's a question of your twisting. This is the way we have to explain to people. Then people understand what you're talking about. And that's your job, that's my job. Time, sooner or later we have to be able to explain to people how the Bible does not contradict itself. That's not a question. During the interview on the radio, well, sir, how come there are so many different interpretations of the Bible? Well, yes, there are interpretations, but not so many. The Bible is one. The Old Testament, that's something else. I was at the hotel, there was a, a Bible. It's interesting. New Testament in three languages. French, German, and Spanish. Only the New Testament. So as if the, those three languages will give you the, the truth. No, I wish they give you one language and had both Testaments, the Old and the Old and the New. The Old was done away with. I mentioned this during my, my conference. I said, so why the Old Testament was left out in my hotel room? See, they couldn't answer. So of course, you have to explain to them that, that the Old Testament speaks of Israelites. Israel does not mean Jewish. I remember Mr. Armstrong's example. All Californians are not, I mean, all the Californians are Americans. All Americans are not Californians. And same thing to them. I said, all of the Martinique people are French. All the French are not from Martinique. So they get it. They say, from that point of view, they, if they have a question about is it lawful, they understand better. Then they know that the Sabbath was not only given to the Jews, but to all quote-unquote Israelites. Those are interesting experiences. So coming back to Paul, Paul says that 
All men have sinned. Romans 3, verse 23. And then Romans 6, 23 says, but the penalty of sin, I'm paraphrasing, is death. And by the grace of God, we have eternal life. Romans 6, 26, 23. So, what am I driving at now? You have to be able to understand and to help others understand that God's laws are good. So when you say, is it lawful? Ask the question, lawful to satisfy your curiosity, your appetite, your desires, or because you want to do something about it in your life? I've heard time and again people mention that, and you know, people who have education, that Paul was the only one to whom God spoke individually among the disciples after his death. For instance, John and so forth, or all of the disciples, they were okay, they were with Christ, but once Christ died, that was the end of it. Paul never talked to Christ when Christ was on earth. He did not talk to him. He wasn't the disciple. He criticized that. He actually condemned the disciples. And then of course, there's no Galatians, but we read that Paul spent time with Christ in the desert. Now, people take those arguments and say, and some of our people are saying it too, by the way, that Paul received some truth from God, directly from Christ, that the other disciples didn't know. Therefore, that's how they justify Paul's so-called ideas of saying all things are lawful. Which is not the truth. But again, I'm just trying to explain. Well, the only way, how would you answer that question? They said, look, Paul is the only one who was able to talk to Christ after Christ was resurrected. Therefore, Paul says something that is new and the other disciples did not know. How would you answer is it lawful? <laughs> well, here's another way of answering. First John chapter 2, for instance. As I said, it is some sort of sermon between what I had in mind and experiences I had during this trip. First John chapter 2. Remember one thing. All the disciples died mostly crucified or perhaps uh, massacred, whatever it is, except John. John had a natural death. And when all of, all of them had died, John was the only, only one left. If Christ had told Paul something new, if Christ had told, told, told Paul that something that the others, the disciples did not know, why John, who was so close to Christ, who was very actually closest to Christ of all the disciples, why John is writing, 1 John chapter 2, he says, uh, verse, verse 5, yeah, verse 5, 1 John 2, 5. Now here's the last disciple left, close to Christ. He says, He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, 
And the truth is not in him. There it is. One way, one sentence, one verse. And remember, the Bible does not contradict itself. This one verse alone will do away any kind of arguments that the law is done away with. He says, look, if anyone says, I know him, verse 4, does not keep his commandments, he's a liar. The truth is not in him. And whoever keeps his word, he says, truly he says, the love of God is perfected, perfected in him. And so forth, and so forth. You see, brethren, this is what we're dealing today. God's church went through very difficult days because people directly or indirectly has this question, is it lawful? Is it lawful? Often, often times, God's people, and they allow themselves some, shall I say, allowances or liberties, and they thought it was lawful. We did not learn from our forefathers what it is the law, what it means to keep God's commandments and how to love God's commandments. And then we have this Pharisaic attitude. Am I doing all right? Am I doing right? It's sad, you see, because of the fact when you see the people in the world, some of them are seeking for the, for the truth, really. Someone said to me, look, Mr. Parton, he says, suppose what you say is true. How do I know that you, what you're saying is better than what someone else is telling me about the Bible? You're using the same Bible. You have different answers. Why? Why should we have different answers? One thing I have to explain is this. Christ came for one purpose. The purpose is that we are created physical beings and one day we are going to be spiritual beings. That's the whole purpose of life. So when Christ came, Mark chapter 1 verse 14, he preached what? Repent. That's the first thing Christ said. And some people today, even God's church, they don't understand that repentance is part of the gospel. He said, repent and believe. Those two words. If we understood in God's church, if people in the, in the world could understand, if we could explain to them, lead to the very purpose for which we, are, we were born. We were born to be changed from physical into spiritual. This is the truth. Now this is what you can get people. It will encourage them. You say, look, sure this is a mess around you. Yes, you're suffering. Yes, you have adultery and sicknesses and I mean all kinds of miseries. But one day we're going to be in the God's kingdom. So you're giving something which is appealing to them. But you have to be able to explain to them and convince them that this is true. And that you can do with the Bible. As I said, start with Mark chapter 1, verse 14. And if you can't convince them, if you are convinced yourself, then you will know <laughs> that this is a wonderful world to be in. Not the way the world is, but the way we are heading toward the goal. And, and then it gives you a better idea of what the church is. We sit here every Sabbath in Charlotte, it's, it's fine. We hear sermons, but you see, we are not exposed to the world where people ask the question, is it lawful?
in their minds they don't, they don't they don't have the right answer they accept whatever answers they receive and of course they choose whatever whatever pleases them in hebrew chapter hebrews chapter 4 it's a very comforting statement Hebrews chapter 4, verse uh, <clears throat> 15. For it says, We don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Look at this. See, you as a Christian, I as a Christian, do we sympathize with the weaknesses of around us or even our own, but around us? Do we suffer the way Christ suffers? Do we have compassion? Christ did have compassion. But he says, but was in all points tempted or tried as we are, yet without sin. Christ gives an example to just know how you can live in this world without being tempted or tried. Oftentimes when we read the Bible, we read in such a way that we perhaps understand but not able to explain to other people. Always remember, this question is, to me is very important. Is it lawful? Not only from your point of it, also from the point of your, of your neighbor. Then try to explain to him what God says or what God has in mind. In Acts chapter 2, here's the beginning of this, what we call this conversion. Conversion means you change in fact, the very meaning of the word conversion means change. In Acts chapter 2, here we have the disciples. They received the Holy Spirit after the day of Pentecost. And Peter had the first sermon to give. What was Peter's sermon? See, that, that's how you can explain to people, also explain what the law is and what is lawful and not lawful. See, I had to explain to people in Martinique, look, the baptism you have, it is not baptism. That even though you have children who are Christians, quote-unquote, they are not baptized. That you have to be mature to be able to be baptized. You have to know what repentance is to be able to be baptized. You see, this is hard to explain to people or people to understand. How would you explain that? I don't believe it because my fathers and my forefathers and so forth, they all were baptized, they are good Christians, quote-unquote. Alright? We come back to Acts chapter 2. And verse 36-37. See, because here you can see the very way Christ inspired Peter to answer. Because Peter told people their, their sins and so forth. I'm just skipping. Now, verse 37, Acts 2, 37, when they heard this, that Peter's preaching, they were all, they were cut into heart. Not all of them, some of them. And said to Peter and to the other apostles, men, brethren, what shall we do? That's a good question. That's nice. Those are the questions, you see, you can learn something from. This is the question to, is it lawful? If you say, is it lawful, you want to know what you should do. Likewise here, when you hear the truth, 
The answer, the question is, what do I do? Was this your attitude when you were baptized? Is it today this attitude? Because when you go into the world, you're going to be as an ambassador. You should be able to tell them exactly, look, what they should do. But be sure that you do it yourself. Otherwise, we are hypocrites. We're Pharisees. This is what we call living your religion. Sitting down here, which is fine. Listening to sermons, which is fine. Going home, enjoying life, which is fine. But that doesn't make you Christian. You have to not only live this thing, but also help others perhaps appreciate life more. Not only by preaching, by your attitude, by the way you act, by the way you just try to serve. So Peter said, uh, when they said, what shall we do? Verse 38, he said, repent. There goes again. If you can only explain to people what repentance means, if you can only ask, tell anyone, even to yourself, what repentance means, really, then you have made the halfway, perhaps like the tragic of reaching the goal, because repentance is a starting point. Repentance does not end at baptism. Repentance does not end when you have all your sins forgiven. Repentance is a daily process, as you well know. Here during this week of unleavened bread, you can see that every day you're tempted in a way. Because you see so much occasions to unwillingly perhaps taste leaven. It's true. Leaven being sin, you can see so many things you would love to do, you cannot do. Not only necessarily eating bread. You see, that's, it, it shows you that if something is not good for you at any time, you should not do it no matter what happens. God wants us for seven days to be keeping away from leaven. If you can't do it for seven days, you can't do it for 14 days too. So, during these day, the weeks of unleavened bread, we should have learned how to do away what is what we call sin and stop asking the question, is it lawful? We know. Sure, it's okay to ask the question, but after you ask the question, do something about it. That's what I'm driving at. So Paul says, Peter says, repent and what? And be baptized again again. You have to know baptized, you have to be mature to be able to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit which we shall see in about less than 50 days. You see, brethren, God's laws, as we know very well, God's holidays rather, portray the whole purpose for our being transformed from physical into spiritual. During that process, it's always the fight against the law. Human nature, Romans 8, it fights against God's laws. You will find all kinds of excuses to justify what you do. I mean, there's nothing good. We're all the same. We always have an answer. We know that what we did, it's okay because we understand and because we had a good reason. 
So the word, the question, is it lawful in our own mind is, yes, it is lawful. Because God understands. That question, God understands, I've heard so many times, you know. Sure, God understands it, but do you? You understand your way, not God's way. It is high time that we understand that God wants us to understand His way. In the book of James, it's there are very interesting statements about in the book of James. James speaks about the law more than you think. And James shows us what is lawful, really. In the world, brethren, perhaps ourselves too, often that we are confused. We are confused because of the fact we are tried and we confuse trial with temptation. That's somewhat true, you see, because of the fact even in the Bible sometimes the, the words are mis, mistranslated. Now, the Bible never contradicts, but some translations might have some mistakes. Not, no translation could be bad if you read the whole thing, let's say, in its context. Therefore, one or two mistakes in the Bible should not give you an excuse saying, well, this is what the Bible says. Now here, for instance, in, in the Bible, I have King James, James chapter uh, 1, verse uh, 12. Here's an example. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. What do you mean by temptation? Does God tempt anyone? See, again, if you understand the truth, you know it's all right, you know what the meaning is. Let's continue. For he, when he has been proved, that is, that proves what it means, temptation here, partly. He will receive the crown of the witch for which he, the Lord has promised to, to, to those who love him. There's your again the purpose for our being. Let no one say that when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be, be tempted by evil and does not himself tempt anyone. Contradiction. <laughs> See, that's what I meant. No, there's no contradiction. Here there's a mistranslation. The whole thing is, God says, let, let no one be, uh, let one say when he's tried or proved that is tried by God and so forth. No, God does not tempt you. Temptation is from Satan. Satan will tempt you. God will not. <laughs> Brethren, you have experienced, we have sufferings. I saw a man again in Guadeloupe. Very miserable life. Hardly ending to it. He says, Sir, what do I do to get even, or to get right with God? What do I do? How do I, do I get close to God? It's easy, see, when you have your stomach full, it's easy to just explain. But suppose you are in the same shoes, having the same sufferings. How do you answer? How could you bring someone back to saying, look, God does not try anyone. God loves everyone. Well, you get down on your knees and ask God for answers, you will get the right answers, but be sure that you are close to God and for you in your mind, the question, is it lawful, is always clear. 
Whatever God says, it's lawful. God, whatever God orders, it's lawful. Whatever God says, don't do it, it's not lawful. This is as simple as that. In uh, James chapter... Well, let's get that one here. All right, let's go a bit farther. Christ came to give His life for us. And here we are, just sitting here, comfortable. Even though cold, but it's okay. You, you go to West Indies, you see that beautiful sunshine, that beautiful beaches and so forth. You come over here, you freeze. What for? Just to preach to you? Oh, come on. I'll come back. <laughs> you are so beautiful, so nice. You go to the, at night, it's called the, you know, you sleep, it's just, you don't even have to put anything on you, just talk. No, see, it's 85 degrees. Night about 75. You see, even that little kid is crying over there. <laughs> <laughs> but coming back to, as I said, this is going to be sermon, this Divided between what I had in mind, what experiences were. In uh, the Bible, is interesting because of the fact we have an experience of practically most of God's people, but there's one person I have in mind, the King Saul. King Saul, when you read this story, you know how he was chosen. He was handsome, he was tall, he was taken practically from nowhere, so to speak. He himself says that. He was given a tremendous choice or chance to be a king, the first king. What did he do? Well, it just so happened that in First Samuel chapter 16, let's turn to it, See, he did not ask, is it lawful? He thought he knew the law. And that's another trouble we had. Sometimes we think we know there. This is the curse today in God's church. A lot of people, they think they know. They think they know the answer. Based on God's laws. First uh, Samuel Let's see, 16. Well, that, here I got David here. Let's go to chapter 15, I think. Yeah. Here we have Samuel. And Samuel is giving an order to King Saul. So look, God wants you, First Samuel chapter 15, do the following. Thus says the Lord, verse 2, I will punish the Amalekites. And he says, here's what you should do. Go, verse 3, attack Amalek. Destroy all that they have. That's God's talking. And do not spare them, he says, but kill both men and women, infant and nursing, child, ox, Sheep, camel, donkey, and so forth. Bang. That's, what, that's not right. It's wrong. God is wrong to give such an order, isn't it? 
God cannot give such an order. God cannot have told Abraham, go and kill your child. He did tell him that. He is telling Saul, King Saul, do this. As you heard in the sermon, there is a reason for it. Didn't, people did not ask the reason. What God is doing or saying is not right. So, here is our attitude. Sometimes we know and we do partly what we think is right. Saul received an order. What did he do? He did to what he says. He took the king. He did not destroy everything. And uh, he also, verse uh, 9, uh, kept the best of the sheep, the oxen, the, the fallings, the lambs, all that was good. <laughs> good in his eyes. I'm trying to show you how the human mind reasons. God says do it. In whole mind, is it, wait a moment, is this the law? Is it lawful for me to just kill the children and so forth? Or kill the best of animals? So it's spared. The best of all that lambs and so forth. He was unwilling to utterly destroy them. What happened? The Samuel, the word came, verse 10, to him. Says I, God says, I greatly regret that I have set up, set Saul as king. He has turned back from following me, has not performed my commandments. See, God knows what he's saying. Always remember, God loves everyone. God does not hate anyone. When God says something, he knows. There was a reason why he gave this commandment. But Saul did his way. And of course, when Samuel asked what happened, what was the first excuse Saul gave? You can read the rest. People. People made it. Those are the way, this is the way we act. It wasn't really my fault, it's people did it. And you see, brethren, when you and I are faced with situations, This is the exercise we give. Someone else made me do it. People did it. I didn't. And then, after this experience, suppose it's you. Suppose if God gives you instructions, tells you something, which you don't understand. In your mind, in your way of looking at things, this is not right, therefore I will do it my way. Brethren, this has happened in the church lately. Since the time of Mr. Armstrong, that's what's happened. People all had their ideas. This is the way I think it is. It isn't God's ways. This is the way I want to understand God's law. So what What up to King Saul? King Saul lost the crown. And look the way Samuel told him that. Verse 17. Samuel, 1 Samuel 15. Verse, Samuel said... When you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? 
when you were little in your lives. That's another way of looking at it. Oftentimes when you have uh, some problems, remember where you came from. Remember how God picked you up. What you had. Remember how little you were. You see, brethren, those are the things we have to think about, especially nowadays. During those public lectures, I learned one thing. That we in God's church, we have to have more compassion. Not that I didn't know it, but I learned more and more that, look, especially when time goes on, as time goes on, when there's more and more suffering around you, we should have more compassion. Not condemn people. They are sinners, so are we, in a way. But just understand. And understand that there's something we can't do. You can't do by your attitude. You can't do by your gesture, by your love. And because there's so much confusion in the world, all religions, there are so many people over there preaching. And, and they have the right as we have just to preach what they think is right which is not, not right in God's sight, but you see, it's a free. Everyone's free to do so. And people oftentimes accept what is lawful as to what they like to hear. What we are offering to, do, to, to, to the world is not pleasant at the present. But it's beautiful because it's the good news, good news of the kingdom of God. You know, when you explain to people, look, one day we're going to be God's children. One day we're going to be able to just do the things God wants us to do and enjoy it in every respect. Those are the things people would love to hear. They have to be convinced. They cannot only be convinced if you are convinced. So when you have the question, is it lawful, be sure that not only you know the answer, but also you respect the answer. Everyone was in God's church should appreciate really, what God has in mind for us. In First Samuel chapter 16, look at the difference between Saul and King David. King David also was chosen by God because God did not look at, height, at the height of David. When actually Samuel was asked to look around, you can read the whole thing, First Samuel chapter 16. And one after the other, Samuel says, this is the one, this is the one. And God says, no. And finally, verse 7, we see, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at the appearance or at the height of this stature, because I have refused him. The Lord does not see as man sees. Again, another secret. Another way of understanding God. For a man looks at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. Brethren, this is what we call, to me, lessons I learned during the week of unleavened bread. See, oftentimes we see things we don't understand. If you know that God looks upon the heart and what God says is always right, then your, your attitude will change. That somehow 
the question is it right? Is, does God love me? Does God want me to do this? All those things will be answered because yes, God wants you to be happy. Even though something maybe might not appear as though it's good for you, you do it. We lost not long ago in France a very nice person, woman. She was awfully sick. For six months, she really suffered. And she has done a fantastic job. She and the, her husband had the ch- two children. Well, she died. But she died in faith in the sense that, you see, she, she said, look, I appreciate the lessons I learned through sufferings. You know, it's, it gives me shivers because I heard how much she suffered. I don't know if I had that much courage to say, to say I appreciate the suffering. Yet that's what James says, you know. Count it all blessing because you develop patience and so forth. This is the lesson we are all here to learn. This is the lesson we can learn during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We talk a lot about things. We don't always practice. We, we, we hear things we don't always perhaps show by our right examples. Another interesting, perhaps before closing, lesson I can learn during this week, week on leavened bread, it's how many times you make a promise and how many times you break your promise. Oh, but it wasn't important. No, it is important. When God says you should not lie, it also covers your promises you make. See, during the week of leaven bread, we're just looking for leaven. You look around. There are lots of things daily you do. You don't think of it as being sin. Lie, yes, but not keeping a promise. Oh, that's, I forgot. Sure, I know it's not important in our own eyes. But is it lawful to forget the promise? You don't think of it that way, do you? Brother, I'm telling you, it's, I, I've seen, I've been in the church long enough now. I've seen where we came from. I, I remember the attitude of the people in the church of God at first. How we were so hungry to understand. We did not question, is it right or wrong? If we read in the Bible, we saw something, okay, we'll do it. I remember in the college, oftentimes we skip lunch, the students did faculty did. Because of the we want to hear more about what's lawful, what's good, what God wants us to do. It didn't, it didn't, I, I didn't appreciate it at the time. I said, my, why should I skip lunch? That's good for me. Now I look back and I said, thank God I was able to do it. Because now I appreciate so much more. Today we have come to the point that everything is given to us practically in a silver platter. We don't make an effort to understand. I don't know how many, I won't, I don't want any shake of hands. So I don't know how many of you really read the Bible carefully every day. Really just, I enjoy it. Not reading, but I enjoy it. How many? I don't know. How many of you look forward to the time you will say, oh boy, I'm going to pray. This is the time to pray for me. See, we take it for granted. 
We take it for granted because while we have to pray, I pray. That is not the way. That's not what I look at as lawful in a way. You should look forward to prayer. We should look forward to Bible study. That, like that woman, having the husband next to her, she would say, Sir, what do I do to have a happy marriage? That shows the person's character. You and I today, we are in God's church, and we should remember that God wants us to not only have what we need, but also give people what they need. That's what our purpose here. Where are we? Where do we stand? Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Chapter 5, sorry. Verse uh, 2. Do not be rash with your mouth. Let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven and you in on earth. Therefore, so let your words be few. What a beautiful like, <laughs> admonishment. For a dream one comes true much, uh, for a dream comes true much uh, activity. He says, let, and the fool's voice is uh, known by his words. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it. For he has no pleasure in fools and so forth. You see it again. Make a vow before God. Brethren, you were called by God. You made a vow. You said, look, I want to do what's right in your sight. From that moment on, what's right in God's sight, it's lawful. What is not right in God's sight, it's not lawful. Pharisees know it, but they did not have the heart to understand. A lot of people in the world know it, but they don't have the mind of God to understand. You and I are given God's mind to understand this thing. Here we almost at the end of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We went through several days. We looked around. We avoided leaven. But the question is how many times we overlook what we call not, not a sin. We overlooked what seemed lawful in our eyes. That's the reason why my purpose is this idea of is it lawful? Be sure that you're asking from God's point of view and that you are willing to just accept God's laws, God's ways. I don't know how many weeks, days, years any one of us has in, in this world. One thing I know, the more, the more we travel, the more we see, the world has come to an end. You can see the end line. And you can also see that there's a desperate need in the world for people to understand. Brethren, that's your job, that's my job. I don't think we sacrifice enough to help these people in the world. I don't think we understand enough their misery to help them. Because we don't spend enough time with God. We don't spend enough time to just try to grow rather than ask ourselves, is it lawful? That's right. 
Oftentimes we, shall I say, <laughs> test ourselves by just saying, is it lawful? And just, we think we go get by. If that is the case, we don't understand what it means to keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Just like the way you look for leaven around, as far as the physical leaven, I think every day we should look for this leaven in our lives, which is doing things, things which are not lawful before God. So, in closing, let me tell you this again. It is, there's nothing wrong to ask, is it lawful? But be sure that after you ask the question, you apply what God says. Then we might be able to help people. To me, I'm so grateful to God that I was able to see this, uh, to have this trip, to see the people again, to see what it meant to be in a country when we had 300 people in Martinique. 300. We have 25. Why? And we had about 120 in Guadeloupe. We have none today except the 31 who are not in the church. They were outsiders. They are looking for someone to help them. We have no, no one to send. I don't have anyone to send, French speaking. This is not only Martinique and Guadeloupe. It's also elsewhere. We don't have enough people, enough ministers. That's why we try to do everything we can to form people, have a leadership classes, so that we will be able to help a world which needs desperately our, our help. But before you can get to that point, brethren, be sure that you understand the answer to the question, is it lawful before God?